This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation, like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3, Atlanta's only conservative talk station. It is just afternoon. Grateful to each and every one of you. CNN, Fox News, you've had several town halls. It's almost like campaign activities in Iowa crawling to a halt. You've seen Governor Chris Sununu endorse Nikki Haley. I think Governor Sununu is an interesting guy. You watch people who are able to thread the needle in the Republican Party like Sununu. Like, he doesn't have all the notoriety, but I think we really need to be looking at places where it's hard to win, what the answers for the party on the mass scale are. Those guys, people like him, they pull Democrats over. People like Chris Christie have had their moment in time where they've pulled Democrats over. Is Donald Trump pulling any Democrats over? Like, is there anybody in my listening audience right now who you're either on the Trump train or you're in the GOP part like I am? Like, ah, don't get me wrong. I'm not voting for a Democrat. But like, is anybody persuadable in America anymore? I honestly think the answer to that question lies in the persuadability. I think if you had Nikki Haley, I think that she could be quote unquote persuadable. You start to see like the Koch brother money, Americans for prosperity. And you and you hear a lot of people talk bad about her ability to lure that in and say she's bought and paid for with special interest groups in the Department of Defense Industrial Complex and the lobby and all the like, all of it. I mean, it's a primary. You got to point out where everybody's worse than you. But like at this point, those folks all playing for second place. Two things need to happen. After Iowa and New Hampshire, it needs to be a two-person race because it needs to be a two-person race. And even then, I think Nikki Haley is probably ultimately who's going to wind up being in that second position, even though I'm probably a DeSantis voter. I am a great observer of the obvious. She's clearly jockeying for second place. I think she gets out of the way relatively early. The people who said all along she was jockeying to be the vice president, ah, hell, I mean, it's hard to, at this point, I don't know that I would pick a different vice president, but I also think that she has the ability to move, shape, be a guiding light to Trump as a governor. You know, in a lot of ways, Mike Pence had the, Mike Pence as the vice president had a lot of the ability to maneuver around Congress because he'd sat there for the better part of a decade. I think Nikki Haley in the same way, holding a governor's governorship as she did in South Carolina, a southern state, which we like southern states. I think she could offer Donald Trump kind of the perspective that people could look to see. I actually think this Republican primary is over really, really soon. I think they buy Donald. I think they buy Ron DeSantis off with some sort of secretary of state position. And to be honest with you, I, I, if you told me Ron DeSantis was the secretary of state for the United States of America, I'm not sure there's a smarter guy on the debate stage. I think that could be really unique and interesting. I also think it's a great opportunity as you look forward to see different people. You know, we've seen a lot of the cast and characters over time. You look at the people in the Biden administration, like you've known plenty of their names for a long time. 
And I think that taking the opportunity with a potential Trump presidency and look, it looks like he's in the driver's seat, assuming that he's not in prison. Hell, even if he was in prison, he still might be the president of the United States. I'm not sure if you have to actually govern from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or if you can be in jail in Rice Street and be president. It'd be interesting to actually like unpack that with some sort of elections lawyer as to whether or not the guy can stand trial. I don't know the answer. But I think that it's coming to an end. I think that people have shown themselves relatively well. I think there's a place for Chris Christie. He may have to go play nice, kiss the ring. He would be a welcome addition. I like the people who have the ability over time, like DeSantis, Christie, Chris Sununu, who have the ability to persuade Democrats onto our side. I don't need them all the time. We're not going to agree on climate change. We're not going to agree on the green energy policies. Not as a party. I say that as a party. I may live in conflict with some of you. But I do think that taking those people, people like Kemp who had the ability that you trust on issues, you trusted him on COVID. That was the biggest thing in 2022 when he ran for his reelect. People appreciated the way he led, even the, even the left-leaning folks. And they liked that he stood up to Donald Trump. I don't think he's going to be any part of any meaningful administration. But you're starting to see some depth in the Republican Party that I don't think you've seen in a long time. And I think that that is ultimately a really exciting part of what we stand for. At the same time, when you take a step back and you look at the General Assembly, the Georgia General Assembly that just wrapped its session, like I'm not going to be critical of them. They went back to redraw maps and put the Democrats in hard places over, you know, does the state of Georgia stand with Israel? Well, yeah, we do. And they used the opportunity to put a handful of Democrats on the record that they didn't want to necessarily vote for it or their constituency or they didn't like how the Israelis treated the Palestinians or whatever. So they took the politics, the geopolitical politics, and they made it a state issue so we could send a piece of paper to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and say, look, this 10th largest state in the country, we really support what you guys are doing. Hope it makes all the difference in the world. I get so tired of that kind of stuff, though. I think that's the part, like, I love public service, I love voting, I love driving things forward, but man, if you had something that was, if you had to always sit there and talk about how much we support the troops, how much we support the cops, how much we're going to stand with Israel, like, is there a place for just level-headed people who want to concentrate on a handful of issues, or is that day just gone? And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't get past, especially on, on the MAGA side. When you look at that, I think Donald Trump and his ideology in plenty of ways were great. You saw Jamie Dimon uh, sit down with Andrew Ross Sorkin a couple weeks ago, and he sat on the Trump council when he first became president, and he said his wife absolutely hated him over it, and his kids hated him over it. And that he was like, well, look, I'm always going to sit there, even if I disagree with somebody politically. I want America to be the greatest place that it could ever be. I give that answer to you guys every single weekend. Like, I pull for Biden. I don't think he has the ability to agree with me. I pull for America. I'm not the guy who's going to sit there and tell you that inflation's continuing to rise. It's coming down. I'm also not going to tell you that it wasn't partially created by President Biden and his knockoff Green New Deal. But I am in a place. I, I want a Republican Party that cheers for America. When you look at the things that are persuadable to average Americans, that upbeat, positive tempo, you have seen it work in governor's race after governor's race after governor's race. You look at New England, a left-leaning place by all accounts. New Hampshire, Republican governor. Chris Christie, 
one time governor in New Jersey. Like that's probably the hardest state for a Republican to win in the country. And he did it two times. I think that Trump is going to be really smart to patch some of the wounds with some of these people. And look, they may not actually have bad blood between one another. They all call each other names. But at this point, I think everybody that's stepped or stood up to Donald Trump in any way, shape or form has been called names by him. So I don't necessarily know that he even remembers who he dislikes in the long term politically. I think he still has a great respect for General Mattis. I think he's got a great respect for guys like Tom Price, but I hope that the second time around with Donald Trump isn't the cabinet staff that's based in utility. You look at people like Jeff Sessions. That guy was a stark conservative attorney general, very conservative senator from the state of Alabama, prosecuted a lot of really good cases, and he governed with states' rights in mind, and he legislated that way. The cases that he would prosecute, they were immensely important. But the thing that I hope Trump has learned, and this is my big fear, is that you need Jeff Sessions. You need people like Ron DeSantis, who are honestly, I don't think any of us disagree. Ron DeSantis, if he was the attorney general too, I've made him the secretary of state and I've made him the attorney general. If you are looking at attorney general Ron DeSantis leading the future of this country from a department of justice perspective, I don't think there's anybody any of us would rather have. Do I think that he is smarter than Donald Trump with respect to politics? I think even the MAGA folks think he's smarter than Donald Trump with respect to politics. I actually think the Republican Party is getting a lot more consolidated around him than they let you believe on what you see on these CNN town halls. I do. I think the Republican Party is in one cohesive piece. I think that this is the opportunity that Donald Trump has where he's going to be able to showcase the coalition that he can build of people who can win persuadable voters. I'd also put DeSantis in that camp, winning cities like Miami and making them red. I mean, if you told me that was even a remote possibility anywhere in my lifetime, I'd be blown away by it. Yet it still happened. And I think that Donald Trump may have learned that lesson. That's my hope. Do I think that that lives in a grounded possibility? Probably not. The guy's almost 80 years old. He's really successful. He is who he is. He is who he is. And we know that. But man, when you look at some of the things he did with the first Republican Congress, the first two years that he was in office, and he went after tax reform in this country, and he streamlined the tax code and the standard deductions, and he closed a lot of the loopholes, and he held the Republican Congress to their stance, their longtime stance over repealing and replacing Obamacare. I think Donald Trump was great because he held Republicans to their agenda that they had always run on. And even if they were absolutely full of crap, he showed you. And I think some of the exposition and some of the exposing that took place within our own party was tenfold more magnifying. When people, when the MAGA folks look back and talk about the Uniparty, and it pains me because I don't feel that way and I'm not a Donald Trump primary voter, but the guy was not wrong about everything. Also, Jamie Dimon sat there and cast really good points when he was on the stage with Andrew Ross Sorkin. He said, look, Donald Trump wasn't wrong about China. He might have been wrong about how he went around dealing with Russia and North Korea, but he wasn't wrong about the trade issues in NAFTA with China. He was 100% right, and nobody else could have had that conversation. So let's give the guy credit where credit is due. I think for a Democrat like Jamie Dimon, who is business-friendly, a man I greatly respect to say really positive things about the future of this country and to be objective is really where we need to go. You can catch the Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. Thursdays, I do my thought in one take. We unpack all sorts of issues. Usually the issue of the week will take five minutes, totally take the politics out of it. It's the best, it's the highest rated thing I do from a downloads perspective because I make sense of some things that are really, really tough. 
don't always have the opportunity to do that on radio. But if you want to, if you have something you want to go research or something you want me to unpack, get in my DMs or mention me on Twitter at Ben Burnett or on Instagram at the Ben Burnett Show. I am grateful for all the feedback. Take tons of requests. I'm always happy to try to make sense and and to continue the dialogue. We need more of it. This is Atlanta's only conservative talk station, Extra 106.3. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to look at all the town halls that took place and what we have to look forward to over the Christmas holidays. We will be right back. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to Extra 106.3 Atlanta's all-conservative talk station. My name is Ben Burnett. Thank you for making me a part of your day and a part of the Ben Burnett Show. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that if you look at the war in Ukraine, it's pretty evenly split amongst Republicans that they're not in favor of it. And if you look at the war in Israel after October 7th when Hamas invaded essentially a sovereign country. They targeted a concert. You've heard lots of stories, and we're not going to get into that relatively kid-friendly about things that Hamas did to women. In the, in the deadliest conflict that the Israelis have seen personally targeted since the end of the Second World War, there's a couple of things I think are just really fascinating beyond the pale. I don't understand how the left has moved so far to a place where almost half of them do not support Israel's right to defend itself. When did our college campuses become somewhere that was essentially a safe haven for terrorists and terroristic sympathizers? I think there is absolutely no excuse for that in 2023. I don't. I realize the the year's winding down. I know we're headed into 2024. It is a front and center conversation, and it will be. The Biden administration is starting to put a lot of pressure on Israel to wind down its quote-unquote, war with Hamas. I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of wanting world peace. I don't. I think that world peace is something that we should all strive for. But if you look at Benjamin Netanyahu, and I want you guys to understand this, he's divisive to the Israeli people. A lot of people don't like him. The things that he had to do to coalesce a government was agreed to a lot of really, really far right-leaning tendencies and policies that his own people didn't really want, people who have supported him in the past. Off and on, since Bill Clinton was president in the United States, Benjamin Netanyahu has been someone who has held the prime minister position within the state of Israel. You know, essentially now you look at that, that's 30 years. Off and on, 30 years. 
That's one of the great things about America. You get two swings at the presidency. You get two terms, and you got to go on and get on the speaker tour and write some books or, in President Obama's case, go host Netflix specials. And we kind of sit isolated with some of that. You know, you got some of the Western countries that have term limits, France, Great Britain, countries like that. But you look at Israel, who is a devoted ally to the United States, knowing that Israel is divided in a way pre-October 7th does stand to reason. You've seen Netanyahu's popularity grow as they have come under a tremendous attack. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they don't deserve the right to defend themselves. You look at Netanyahu's career, he's funded in a relatively heavy way the Palestinian people. He sought peace with them. And I'm not saying that the Palestinians were the group of people who sat there and targeted the Israelis. I am not. And if you look at Hamas, they're not even nearly as well-funded as Hezbollah. And the Iranian government, a state sponsor, has utilized their budget and their balance sheet in order to inflict harm on the Israelis. And I think that that is ultimately something that the United States is right to back Israel over, part and parcel. Iran is a sworn enemy of the United States. They have sought to enrich uranium for decades. They went to war in Iraq 40 years ago. And look, there were millions of people killed in that conflict in the United States at that point in time. It's hard to explain this to a child or somebody who's under 30 years of age that, look, at one point, the Iraqis, they were, they were our allies. Saddam Hussein was somebody who sought refuge in the United States. A couple decades in And some bad decisions can change everything. Like when they invaded Kuwait and the H.W. Bush administration said, you're not going to do that. We're calling the card. We're deploying our military. And we sent hundreds of thousands of troops over to the Middle East, if not millions. But it is really scary. If you look at the people, if let's say for just assume for one second, the United States does not have all the intelligence that we need to have with respect to our Israeli counterparts or our Iranian counterparts. The fact that the United States government or the Israeli government did not see the attack coming was really an ultimate failure amongst intelligence agencies globally, United States and Israel included. And I think that that deserves to be pointed out. But if you also look, I am not in favor of somebody. I I am not somebody who sits here in favor of a ceasefire with the Israeli government and Hamas. I think the Israelis deserve every opportunity to be ultimately successful to eradicate them from the face of the earth. And if Hezbollah enters that fray, I think that the Western allies and potentially NATO could militarily get involved. I'm also not somebody who really seeks a conflict with Iran. And hear me when I say this. There are a lot of countries in the world, and that number is growing, They have the ability to turn the lights out on one another. You see the United States relationship with China. It is at a low point since the Nixon administration. It's at an abject low point. I do not seek a military conflict with the Chinese for one reason. Nobody ultimately wins that conflict. If the Iranians, on the same token, want to insert their military might and their military force into it, I think ultimately that could be bad for the infrastructure in the United States, let alone our Israeli allies. But you got to fight them somewhere. And I think the opportunity to take their syndicates and their surrogates like Hamas, Hezbollah, and the rebel fighters in Yemen is the right thing to do. And we're not having enough of the right conversations. You look at the conflict that has gone on in Yemen since they bombed the USS Cole some 20 years ago. That's a country that has seen hundreds of thousands of people die. 
And I don't understand why that is never pointed out inside the geopolitical circles in the United States. By a factor of probably a thousand more people have died in that conflict in Yemen that is abjectly, in no uncertain terms, the Iranians' fault. It's the Iranians' doing. You've seen in the Persian Gulf, you've seen in the Red Sea, these Yemeni fighters are using drone attacks to attack U.S. infrastructure, French infrastructure, our military capabilities, and they haven't been successful. But, hell, you're kidding yourself if you think they're not trying to ultimately be successful. And I worry about the stability of absolutely everything with respect to the region. I already told you to start out. I'm not a giant Netanyahu sympathizer. At least I wasn't. But Netanyahu is doing the only thing that makes sense for his people moving forward. He is. And taking the fight to the terrorists until they have absolutely had enough. And then you keep going another mile. One of the problems that the Western countries, and I blame the, and I blame the Biden administration for having this attitude that they want to seek a ceasefire and they want a peaceful situation. Well, so do I. If we had not sought a peaceful ending and a ceasefire with Desert Storm and Desert Shield, and we had taken Baghdad the first go around, and we had really eradicated Saddam Hussein and his regime at that point, we might not have had anything happen after September 11th. I realize that you're connecting a lot of dots, and there's some Monday morning quarterbacking go on there, but we take our foot off the gas when we are attacked, sometimes far sooner than we otherwise should. If you could prevent the last 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan because you had taken Iraq in 1990 and 1991 when they invaded, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, and you had made them submit, give up their government, and the UN had somehow gotten involved and allowed that, those people to authentically create the government that they wanted, would 9-11 have even happened? I'm not sure any of us really truly know the answer, but I can tell you this. We've made a whole host of really poor decisions over the last 30 years with our Middle East and our foreign policy, and I don't think we're a people or a country who needs to tell Benjamin Netanyahu what's right and wrong for Israel. We're their sworn sovereign ally to the absolute bitter end, and I don't say that from some sort of religious grounds. I say that because when the UN drew the borders and they set up the housing settlements in Gaza and the West Bank for the Palestinians— That was as good a deal as they were ever going to get. Do you know why? Because you don't get to make rules when you lose the war. And at the end of the First World War, when the Ottoman Empire ultimately fell and everybody asked for forgiveness, that was one of the consequences. Changing gears just a little bit. Last week, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made a trip to the United States to meet with dignitaries, President Joe Biden, members of his staff, as many members of Congress as he could get in front of. And his goal was to show solidarity with America and the support for Ukraine. We all know, especially on the Republican side, and look, I'm not one of them, I'll say it, I am in favor of funding the war in Ukraine. I think there are plenty of places where the United States can cut their budget. And his goal is to get aid. His goal is to get long-range missiles, short-range missiles, munitions, things of that nature, so that he can continue to fight back against Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. There's also reports out there that over 300,000 Russian soldiers have been killed or have deserted the effort in the war in Ukraine. I think everybody over there is in dire straits. 
Zelensky is clearly falling out of favor with the Ukrainian people. Vladimir Putin, at this point, sending so many people to war, has to have people in his own country who are wondering whether or not he can be there. But look, the last 10 days in Russia have been just nothing short of fascinating. You saw the one-time presidential challenger, Alexei Navalny, has disappeared from a Russian prison. We knew that was a win, not an if. And they can't find him. I can't believe this isn't a huge story. I My question to Republicans, if you want to say, look, we should fund all our infrastructure, we should fund the southern border and tie it, funding of the war in Ukraine, I'm actually totally okay with that. I think the United States should do two things at one time. I think funding the southern border and the wall there makes more sense than probably anything with respect to our immigration I had a guy on the show this week named Glenn Hammer who runs the Texas Business Association. For lack of a better way to put it, that is the Texas Chamber of Commerce. And he talks about the issue as a border state that he faces with drugs, illegal immigrants, people from other parts of the world that potentially mean harm to the United States coming across that border in Texas. And there's literally nothing that Governor Greg Abbott can do because of the Biden administration's stance to the wall in Mexico and their stance to not updating an immigration policy that makes any sense. There's a lot of bad things that Biden has done. I will be the first person to sit there, raise my hand, and be like, these are the 400 things that I think that he wants back. The greatest failure of the Biden administration is not securing the southern border. It doesn't ultimately solve all the United States' problems with respect to immigration because nothing ever does. I want to be perfectly clear about that. But if you have people from Qatar and Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah who are potentially utilizing loopholes and laws to get into the United States where they can essentially set up residences, what does that mean? It could potentially lead to terrorist cells. It could potentially lead to a lot worse things than that. And we do not want the United States of America, because of our immigration policy, to continue to let our own citizens die of fentanyl. And I think that we have a lot of things at play and the United States is failing on a lot of fronts. And make no mistake, the United States failed on plenty of those fronts during the Trump administration as well. Fentanyl, look, I sat in elected office. I saw the local police reports every single week, incidents of interest. And I would honestly, I'd encourage all of you, if you ever want to know, you think you just live in a super lily white, nice place, Man, just ask them for the summary of the police reports. Just file an open records request, or you can honestly do one better. Just call the clerk. They create it every week, whether or not anybody reads it outside the media or not. You will be fascinated at the crime that takes place in your own community. And I don't say that to scare you. Like, look, if you live in North Fulton or East Cobb, they're they're plenty safe places. They are safe places. But nothing, unless you work in medicine or law enforcement, you have no idea what people do to each other. And it's in your own backyard, human trafficking, every single week, all the time. And plenty of those issues originate because of our flaws with our immigration system. At the same time, I do look back at the war in Ukraine, and I'm still firmly one of the guys who's like, I think this makes sense. I am not a globalist in the sense of like people like to use it in the Make America Great Again crowd. I I believe in free trade. I think the countries that do an extraordinary amount of business with one another are more likely to seek peace and less likely to seek conflict. And that's where it really starts and ends with me. I want as many friends that are going to be loyal to me 
as absolutely possible. And Russia's not one. They sit there right outside the OPEC treaty, and they are they are Eastern Europe or Western Asia's largest oil and natural gas supplier by a factor of 10. They have a ton of resources, and at the same time, Russia is a relatively poor country. If you look, I, one of the other things I say all the time, poor people, they are not loyal to anything. You can't find somebody from a third world country who moves to the United States that isn't wildly appreciative of the life that they have here. They live in relative anonymity. Even a lower middle class living to them is something that they are extraordinarily proud to phone home and talk about. And do they send plenty of the money back? Yes. But I think more people, and I honestly, I think Donald Trump gets in office and I honestly think he changes his tune. I think that he would have one of the pros that I think that Donald Trump has over anybody else is that he does have an existing relationship with with President Vladimir Putin, quote unquote, President Putin. And if Donald Trump is who look, I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that I think this is what's going to happen in America, barring the fact that the guy's in prison. And I've already told you, even if he's in prison, I'm not entirely sure he's not allowed to be president. He might not be able to vote for himself for president, but I think he can still continue to be president. And I think that his relationship with Vladimir Putin would be one that could be a strategic advantage for world peace. And I think that the European Union would absolutely hate that he was the guy who made it happen. But it's like I said, I don't pull against President Joe Biden. I root for America. I root for America regardless of who is in charge. And I have disagreements with everybody. I sit here on the radio every single week for a couple of hours, and I tell you all the things that I think are right and I think all the things that are wrong with both sides of the aisle because they're neither one perfect. But I am truly interested. When I sit in next week on the radio for a couple of days with Rhino, and I'll sit in the following week in a couple of days with Tug, those two guys are very in favor of cutting off all the Ukrainian funding. But here's the question that none of them will ever have the opportunity to answer. If the United States takes the opportunity to remove itself from Western values and we keep all of our resources here, Who is the country that ultimately fills the vacuum in the needs of the other parts of the world? The other countries in the world are what make the United States of America a superpower. We utilize all of our resources all the time, our budget, our balance sheet, who we take assets from, who we derive natural resources from. Those things matter. When the United States is doing business with countries that ultimately want to be better allies with the United States, that's a good thing for absolutely everybody. And if we take our ball with the, with the war in Ukraine and we go home and Europe sits there, it puts Europe in a significantly worse position. Guess what nearly every country in Europe is? A NATO member. In my opinion, that is cutting off your nose despite your face because Russia at this point in 2023 is a sworn enemy of the United States. And I don't understand why every single American doesn't ask themselves the second and third question. We can't just leave the battlefield. You hear Neil Bortz talk about it all the time. If the United States of America isn't a leader, we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that we might not like who the other leader is. And I think that that encompasses a lot of conversations that our Congress seems hell-bent and determined to not have. Hell, I looked yesterday at the congressional agenda. This is 100% factually accurate the current item that they were talking about was the banning of whole milk in public schools the item that subsequently was coming up after the conversation about banning whole milk in public schools was this 
whether or not they should bring an impeachment inquiry forward on President Joe Biden. That is your United States of America. That there is no more perfect way to end the year. The only thing that anybody possibly agrees on on the right is that we have to get rid of President Biden by hook, by crook, any of it. And I'm so sick of it. Guys, we have actual problems that we have the ability to solve. And my challenge to the Republican Party and the Democrats is this. I think everybody should fight about all the issues that we have the ability to solve. I think Hunter, I think Hunter Biden is guilty as absolute sin of leveraging his relationship with his father. I do. I'd be the first person to tell you that. Do I think that that issue should involve the entirety of the United States Congress's agenda coming into an election year? No. It doesn't make anybody's life better. I already told you, if we sat there and the Republicans would put forward a thoughtful and persuadable immigration policy to close the southern border and create some sort of meritocracy or merit-based system so that immigrants could come into this country with a fundamental understanding of who they are, what jobs they want to proceed with, we would at least know who was here. And by the way, with the declining birth rate in the United States and the continuing to escalate death rate in the United States, it is not if, it is when. These conversations, they're here, and our Congress is doing absolutely nothing about it. They're talking about banning whole milk in schools. Guys, I could give a rat's ass what kind of milk your kids drink in the lunch line. And, and I'll never care. If you want them to drink almond milk, tell Joey or Susie or whoever that that's what you want them to do. Hell, for all I know, that may be the most nutritious thing that some of these kids have to drink at all. It might be the only warm meal that plenty of them have. And we're sitting there talking about taking things off the table. Like, guys, I'm not sitting here trying to advocate for the feeding of Coke Zeros and Mountain Dews to your children at lunchtime, but whole milk? I mean, I just can't. Like, this is America, the greatest country in the history of the world. We have everything that we need. Our entitlement system needs a, needs a lot of help. It needs updating. But whose brainchild was it to sit there and ban whole milk? I mean, if this is a Republican, we should all be super pissed. It, and, and the thing is, is that I'm not entirely sure that I can only trust Democrats to drop stupid bills anymore. The banning of whole milk? I feel like that is like Mama, Apple Pie, Mount Rushmore, Yellowstone, oatmeal, whole milk. I, I mean, it gets overlooked. Like, let, we'll be honest. It gets overlooked a little bit in the grand scheme of things. I look, I'm 40. I have to do things so that I can trim just a little bit. But, like, for an 8-year-old, like, I'm totally good. And, look, if you're a vegan, just turn me off now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting on a diatribe. But... That makes absolutely no sense. And look, if, if you don't have a bunch of kids and you live in California, the vegan capital of the world, and your public school, Joey and Susie that we talked about, don't drink a ton of whole milk, quit ordering it. But maybe my kids want it. This doesn't seem like a thing. I mean, I don't even know where to go. I, I swear to you, when I saw that yesterday, I was like, this is, these people either self-fund or raise millions of dollars and like don't kid yourself like super packed money like there's not one of them that isn't capable even who's the dumbest person we've got in congress right now lauren bober lauren bober has the ability right now lauren bober has the ability to right now if she just dedicated the next six months of her life to fundraising like she would go hang up two three four million dollars 
all for the right to defend or take away your ability for your children to drink whole milk in school. God, I'm just, it's embarrassing. When my babies quit nursing, that was what they went to. There has to be something to it. You can catch the Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We are all out for the remainder of the year. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram at the Ben Burnett Show. I think towards the end of next week, I'm in with Rhino for a couple of days. And, I mean, that, that's one of my favorite. You want to talk about one of my favorite people to just argue with. We, we will take the two percent of issues that we do not agree on, and we will sound for days like we just abjectly hate each other. And I don't hate him. I'm actually going to challenge him. You know, what you guys don't know about Rhino is that he, he, used, to own, he, he used to own restaurants, and he's a world-class chef. So I think I'm going to get my Venmo, send him 100 bucks, and say, man, you're catering breakfast. Here you go. Bring it in. Don't hold anything back. I'm looking forward to it. And then the next week you can hear me on with Tug. This is Extra 106.3, Atlanta's all-conservative talk station. We will be right back. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3, Atlanta's all-conservative talk station. I would say the final thing that I want to get to this week is an article I read earlier on Tuesday, December 12th, in the Wall Street Journal about home buying math no longer adds up. We hear a lot of it. It is no secret. There's a lot of people like me not moving anywhere, don't care if you are, got a pretty low interest rate. In fact, I got a pretty low interest rate on a cash out refi at 2.75% in Alpharetta, Georgia, one of the nicer communities Metro Atlanta has to offer. And I'm not leaving. And I'm not leaving for a bunch of reasons. Housing costs have escalated on new construction. Mortgage rates are as high as they've been in a long time based on the fact that, well, simply the United States federal government printed over $7 trillion between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. Yes, I give neither one of them a pass. It's money we didn't have. It's made things unaffordable. You look at some of the energy costs and that, that go on around the country. They're a little bit higher than they were three years ago, four years ago. And there's no getting around it. Things are more expensive. A lot of that is predicated on policy. We do a really good job of fighting the Democrats. We do an incredible job fighting over social issues, right to life, the Second Amendment, back the blue. We support the war in Israel. All the things that make us quote-unquote Republicans. Those are the things that make you quote-unquote Republicans in the eyes of the mainstream media. 
Those are issues that may very well identify with people on the right, but they are not the core and center issues that matter to your average American's daily life. When you look at home buying math, you start to see conservative organizations like the Georgia Chamber, an organization that I care deeply for. I love Chris Clark. I love the people on his team. I think that by and large, he does an incredible job on behalf of the state of Georgia representing the business interests around. It's one of the best states in the country you could ever start a business in. I know this. I have one. But I tell you all the time, none of us agree on absolutely everything. So I'll bring it back to the article in the Wall Street Journal by Gina Herb on Tuesday that says home buying no longer adds up. This is a conversation that a lot of Republicans are going to buy into hook, line, and sinker. Is it more expensive to buy the same house in 2023 than it was in 2013? Yes, based on building material costs alone. But you know what's happened too? Wages have risen. Rents have escalated. Energy costs have gone up. And the biggest problem with the interest rates in this country are the aforementioned COVID relief dollars and the inflation that came immediately after the printing of that money. The stock market took off like a rocket ship and everybody was fat and happy with a bunch of free money. Two, three years later, the calling card came due on some of that debt. And that has made a situation in this country significantly more expensive. But let me tell you what the Republican Party and the Georgia Chamber of Commerce is about to get really, really wrong. When you look at your really nice communities around Metro Atlanta, they have design standards and guidelines. You look at cities like Woodstock, you look at cities like Canton, you look at cities like Smyrna, you look at cities like Alpharetta, Johns Creek, Dunwoody, Sandy Springs. You cannot build with whatever you want in those cities because they protect the subsequent property rights of everyone around them. If you were to tear down a house in my neighborhood that has no HOA, you could build whatever size house you wanted as long as it fit the setback rules. But you have to use certain building materials that the city in which I reside deems substantially similar to what is around the neighborhood. If not an upgrade, you can't go the other way. The city of Alpharetta will not allow it. So no, you cannot build a vinyl siding house in any neighborhood in any of those cities that I just mentioned. And if you take a look at this issue, that is ultimately what the conversation is that you're going to be having. It's not about affordable housing. Everybody wants affordable housing. Everybody also wants to have a primary residence in Monte Carlo. We as Americans are born with the same rights, but what you do with those rights over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it matters. And those decisions matter. And I bought a house reflected of the community that I wanted to live in. I did not want to live in a neighborhood that was surrounded by clapboard housing. My parents grew up that way in North Carolina. I don't take anything away from the people who wanted to live in those old mill houses around factories and textile plants. That was the culture. That is not the culture today. And if you look in more rural parts of the state where you see a lot of these jobs going in around automobile manufacturing and the subsequent suppliers around it, there's a lot of groupthink. Guess what you have the ability to do if you want to use a cheaper or lesser building material? You can go to the county or municipality and ask and submit for a variance or a design package or anything of that, and that county commission and that city council has the opportunity to give you the up or down vote. They absolutely do. 
But taking away the rights of the cities of means is 100% the wrong direction to go in the name of housing affordability. Because guess what? The math doesn't add up today in December of 2023 for home, for home builders and home buyers, and that age is getting older. But you shouldn't take a bad decision like the United States federal government made with respect to printing trillions in COVID relief dollars and double down and say, well, we're no longer going to let this community hold the standards that it values. Local control is a more central tenant to the Republican Party than almost anything. If you look at the platform of the Republican Party, you are supposed to defer in collective wisdom, if it is not defined, if it is not a right defined by the federal government, it is deferred to the states. And if the states take the opportunity to take rules away from your local municipalities, it ultimately has no choice but to devalue the communities in which you and I live in. And I'll be the first person to tell you, I don't think the Republican Party in the state of Georgia has answered enough questions with respect to school choice. Do I think that you should ultimately be able to cross boundaries in order for you to pay taxes in Cherokee County and want to send your kids to Milton so that they can play football? I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. I believe in all kinds of personal freedom, but I don't think that the Republican Party has answered enough questions. And make no mistake, school choice and home affordability Those are issues that will be woven together ultimately because you can't separate absolutely everything. They are all a cog in the wheel of the greater American conversation. And any time the government gets involved, it gets worse. Home affordability isn't a birthright. It's not. If you can't afford to live in the city of Milton, then you can go live in Cherokee County or Pickens County where it's cheaper, where the real estate costs And the land acquisition costs aren't as high. And I don't take anything away from the people who choose to do that. Living on certain streets like West Paces Ferry are so far and away the epitome of the American dream. But not everybody has the opportunity to just wake up, be 30 years old, and want to buy a house there. That's not how America works. You work hard, you create the life that you want for yourself, and you do the best that you possibly can. But not everybody can be president. Just because you live somewhere, that doesn't necessarily define who you are. But if you want to live in a certain community, then you need to identify with the ideals and values that that community has. And if you don't agree with them, then it's easy. Go live somewhere else. You can catch the Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram at the Ben Burnett Show. Each and every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, you can find me right here on Extra 106.3. In a couple of weeks, we've got a lot of people taking vacation, so they're going to turn over the keys to the morning show to me for a couple of rounds. We'll see. I'll stir it all up. I don't feel like anybody else feels about absolutely everything, and trust me, anytime I make an appearance on the morning show, we take the 5% of the issues that we do not agree with, and we fight about those and only those, and never mind the fact that we agree on the other 95%. It's always entertaining. Thank you for making me a part of your weekend. This is Extra 106.3 Atlanta's all-conservative talk station. We'll see you guys next weekend. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. 
Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon background screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 